0: Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball. 52 weeks out of the year, there is no off-season, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studios in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Well, everyone and their moose is thinking about the Super Bowl this weekend and what's going to be this or that. Um, and everyone assumes I'm a diehard Patriot fan because I'm a Red Sox fan and a Celtic fan, Um, I I think I'll watch the game. I I don't really care. I don't really care. Uh, At this point, this stuns my Red Sox fan friends. I'm fine if the Eagles win because, as I've said before, I would trade every single Tom Brady Super Bowl right now for J.D. Drew to get a double in the eighth inning of Game Seven <laughs> of the 2008 <laughs> American League Championship Series, <laughs> think twice done. Patriots are Super Bowl-less, but J.D. Drew hit one in the gap in that game. So this is the level of fan I am in football. I'm going to be during the Super Bowl. I'm probably be thinking about the Washington Nationals and what they need to be doing in the upcoming season. And it's interesting that I say that because today is today is a uh, is a very special Sully Baseball podcast. It's a crossover. You know when you cross over, like Supergirl showed up on the Flash on an episode I saw recently. That was and then the Flash showed up on Supergirl. That was pretty cool. And today we're doing a podcast crossover. Um, I, I I'm a recent uh, disciple or recent convert for a podcast called resting pitch face which is available on you know apple podcast and all the all the places you listen to this shit and i was i found that you know one of the the hosts was following me so i said i'll check it out and it immediately was a podcast i started listening to the back episodes if you like this podcast you will like resting pitch face it's just that simple because it's exactly the kind of baseball podcast that i like listening to they are diehard fans who know what they're talking about but every once in a while we'll talk about really weird stuff and then get back (laughs) to the base and it i'm listening to it and they're breaking down the gnats they're breaking down this they're breaking down that and suddenly they're talking about what kind of insect Ichiro Suzuki should be named after or something I'm not 100% sure he was named after a beetle or he was named after a wasp or something is going on and then right back to the stuff and that's kind of what I do here so I reached out and said hey let's have a resting pitch face slash sully baseball podcast here on Super Bowl weekend, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So, folks, uh, I, I you you probably heard them already giggling in the background there. Let me just, or if not giggling, they're just blurting out a, a a guffaw like right there. Um, I'm going to welcome Kay, Sid, and Laura, the stars of Resting Pitch Face. Welcome to the Solid Baseball Podcast.
1: Thank you. Sorry Hi. about the the peanut gallery snickering there. Hey. <laughs>
0: It's fun uh, by me. It's, I don't often have an audience.
1: It's always fun to hear yourself described by somebody else, especially when you're not <laughs> quite sure what he's going to say. But that was pretty accurate, and we'll, we'll definitely agree with that assessment. Um, it was a wasp that was named after Ichiro. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I forgot the, the <laughs> details of what insect Ichiro was, was named after, but yeah. Um, yeah, well, for those for those of you who didn't catch that episode, why don't we just start right there? Why the hell is someone naming a wasp after Ichiro? Um,
2: well, you want to go ahead, Kay?
0: No, you go ahead. It was, you you brought it to us.
2: You and, brought it to um, us. So yeah, this was this is interesting. It got a I think a pretty quick write up in Deadspin. Um, there was a basically an entomologist um, who I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. It was Jose Fernandez Triana. Um, who, who uh, is a big baseball fan and a big fan of, of newly discovered wasp species uh, and found a wasp in Lake o- uh, Okeechobee, I want to say, uh, in Florida and decided, hey, if I get to name, name this wasp, I'm going to name it after uh, Ichiro. Um, and his argument was that even though Ichiro is, is obviously currently not signed, uh, he was last a marlin. So
0: there we go. Um, also, why not? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll take why not. I'll take why not as the answer there.
2: Yeah, um, I have to say this is probably the best things that that's happened to the Marlins in the off <laughs> oh Yeah, yeah.
0: I would wrong. say, did, did did they trade the wasp for two larvae or something <laughs> like that? Don't <laughs> give
2: them any ideas. Yeah, I think yeah. we could probably if we. Aim it right. I don't know. Trade two actual wasp larvae for J.T. Real Muto?
0: Yeah, but they'll have to pick up the they'll have to pick up the cost of whatever cocoon they have during the <laughs> metamorphosis stage. So,
3: I'd also think, given that it's D.C., we'd probably have to trade them stink bugs, not wasps. Yeah, you know, see,
0: we You got to si- <laughs> you know your system. You got to know your system well. Uh, that's uh, the it, bringing up the Marlins. Um, it's one of the reasons why. I did a podcast about a few weeks ago where I talked about the Indians and the Nationals, which were oddly the two teams I picked to go to the World Series at the beginning of the playoffs last year. And, uh, boy, that, that that didn't work out. And <laughs> <laughs> don't go to Vegas when I make a pick. Um, but I also I do what's called the Suffering Index, where I try to create a mathematical formula. Try to determine which fan bases are suffering the most, uh, <laughs> based upon lack of championships, mm-hmm. uh, deciding games lost, deciding games won, years since the pennant, years since the previous world championship, etc. And when you take the entire, not just the Nationals, but the entire Washington baseball history going back to the Senators, uh, the two most suffering fan bases are Washington and Cleveland. And those are the two teams going into this upcoming year that I think have the easiest path to the division title. You know, yes, but 50- Tully,
1: someone actually wrote a musical about a Senators fan selling his soul to the devil for a pennant. Not even a World Series, a pennant.
0: And but- mind you, Washington hasn't won since that musical either. And that came out in the 50s. Yeah.
1: So clearly, 40- we need to revisit franchises that clearly
3: he didn't offer a good enough soul (laughs) yeah we need to revisit that but um i lost what i was gonna
2: say i was gonna say how far are we gonna get into this podcast before lara starts singing? you gotta have heart Mm -mm.
1: (laughs) hey i promised this was one of the this was one of the requirements of the podcast (laughs) crossover agreement i did promise not to sing and I there will are, hold up my end of that bargain.
0: We had that. We had that notarized. It's a legal document I have that said, to you, "Laura, you <laughs> will not start singing from Damn Yankees here." And so, um, yeah,
3: it's very. You difficult know, I, she can always sing on ours. And if you ever come to ours, you can you can feel free to sing as well.
0: <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd be thrilled to. I'll be thrilled to. I dated a musical theater major in college, and that was kind of a scared straight program for me and musicals. <laughs> it was kind of, you know. I, I have post-traumatic stress syndrome when I start hearing the opening notes of Pippin, you know, so it's kind of... A...
1: <laughs> that's not just you. That's Pippin. <laughs>
0: okay, good. Good. Then We do have magic to do just for you. But um, <laughs> but the Nats and the the Indians would be, a, you know, first of all, I think it would be an amazing matchup just in terms of the talent there. Mm-hmm. But these are the two... Um, and I'm when I say the suffering, I mean just for baseball. I can't get into... You know, but LeBron won one with. I can't. I just. I can only deal with baseball because I know. You know, Washington sports fans in general. You know the Washington <laughs> Generals have a. Have a they lose a lot too, but. Um, you know they haven't won piddly poo since I was since. What was it nineteen ninety two? Yeah. When the Redskins won, or ninety two or ninety three, I can't quite remember. But. Yes,
2: yeah, um, I, I do believe they did beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Sorry, my husband's in the room, and he is a Bills fan, so I had to to take
0: that little dig at him.
3: And that is probably the only amount of uh, non-baseball information and sport as far as sports go you're going to get out of
0: any of us. Oh, and you know what's amazing (laughs) is that that just shows you how much suffering there is in Buffalo because a Washington fan can take a dig at a (laughs) Buffalo fan.
2: (laughs) Um, He enjoys the fact that on the X-Files like part of the grand conspiracy that's going to explain like chupacabras and aliens and stuff is that like the US government is conspiring to never let the Bills win a Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> that's as good an explanation as I've ever heard. Yeah, so
2: I at that point I have to say, you know, we can we I think Washington fans might have tinged a little in conspiracy theory with our our wonderful exit from the NLDS this
0: year, but like I feel the Bills have a real case. Well, let I me just bring this. Up. A, oh, I'm sorry. Go, 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 go.
1: I feel we have a pretty real case as well. I don't know much about the Bills, but there's there's weird baseball and there's weird baseball.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, and and I'm I'm going to get into that. One of the reasons why that's so high, the Nat, the suffering index is so high for the Nats is not. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I mean, as, <laughs> I was a Red Sox fan. I I saw this with my team until they started winning. You know that it's not that they lose; they lose in a way that just make you go, that make you smash your head against the dresser. Yeah, and um, and and the thing that I find interesting is that Washington fans don't quite have the reputation yet for long suffering the way that Cub fans, the way that we Red Sox fans did, you know, the way Cleveland fans did, the way the Buffalo fans did. But when you look at the actual body of work uh in all sports. It's it's been pretty rough. I mean, I'd say
3: the perception is that it, everything that happened for all the previous teams, nobody sort of takes that into account. They just look and say, "Oh, the Nats are twelve years old, so they don't under they can't possibly understand real suffering." Because um, then, as far as time goes, the Nats themselves don't have the same pedigree. If you're just talking the Nats, that said, the point you brought up of the way we've been suffering, I feel like get should be weighted heavily more heavily than the amount of time we've been suffering yeah uh (laughs) maybe that's just me my own suffering speaking
0: but well the the thing the only time in history washington dc had a team win a postseason series was the 1924 world series Mm -hmm. and you know because they went to the world series in 25 and 33 but there was no ALCS back then. You just, whoever was in first place at the end goes to the World Series. Uh, And I actually pointed, um, I wrote this to a friend of the podcast, Sean Doolittle, when he was acquired by Washington. I said, you know, no pitcher has ever thrown a clinching pitch for a Washington team. Because the, <laughs> the the Senators won the World Series on a walk off hit in extra innings, so the, it wasn't the pitcher on the mound getting the final out. It was a base hit to, oh, to the outfield.
1: Oh my God, it's worse than I thought.
3: <laughs> and so I
0: thought, like, <laughs> you have a chance to be the first ever Washington pitcher to throw a clinching pitch in a postseason series.
3: No pressure or anything. So, but
0: Sean was great in the postseason. That was not it. this was not Sean's undoing Oh, no, her. not at all. Um, but, by the way,
3: yeah. just
2: to explain Lara's too tooth to, too, too, I guess, a uh, 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 naive new audience. audience. <laughs> a new audience. I was like, virgin audience. No, that's not what I meant. A naive <laughs> audience. Um, this is... Well, Lara, well, why it's don't supposed you... To
1: sound, it, it's supposed to sound like spitting. Um, so in any place where you would knock on wood or perform any number of unjinxing rituals, I have a tendency to say tfu 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 which is a less messy way of sort of spitting on the evil eye to keep whatever jinxy statement was just made from turning into a jinx so when Sully says Sean has a chance to do something that hasn't it been going before. It didn't happen
0: I, I, can't, I can't be Superman and spin the world back and, <laughs> the, right and let the record show I was rooting so hard for the Nationals in that series you would have assumed I grew up in Chevy Chase Maryland or something <laughs> like that uh,
2: it, it, I have to say, so we assumed just coming on, I was like, we're going to talk about the Nats, you know, exits from NLDS. <laughs> like that's, that's what we got to talk about. Um, so my sister is a clinical, oh, I'm sorry, she's a psychologist. She is, she is in the process of getting her license to be a clinical psychologist. Right. And I asked her how I was supposed to get over the Nats, you know, exit as particularly from the 2012 NLDS, um, and her advice, which she wants to, to note is not medical advice, is, to, um, is is that we have to figure out if um, it's something we want to basically uh, get over or to accept what happened, because that is different, and to also consider the negative emotions that we often go through <laughs> and our, their impact on our lives when talking about all of this stuff. Um, so I just wanted to let you know that we have psychologically prepared to have this conversation. <laughs> what does
1: your sister think about the fact that I've literally repressed 2014? Yeah. I mean, I, I was dead convinced. People would talk about that 18-inning game against the Giants with the whole store in Michigan, and I was completely sure I hadn't watched it. I don't <laughs> remember watching it.
2: It was on BreakFast. It was during BreakFast.
1: I you're... was going through my Instagram looking for something, and I found selfies that I took during that game <laughs> about the game with the caption saying, you know, inning whatever, and I really hope such and such. I don't remember watching that game. I have legitimately blocked out my memories of that game because it was so traumatic to watch that happen.
0: Can I, can I tell you the story about me watching that game? Please. Um, I and and I have to say this, that, that my, my father is a diehard San Francisco giant fan. Uh, and I actually went to, I took my dad to the 2014 world series, um, between the giants and Kansas mm-hmm. city. So on almost every account in the postseason, I've rooted for Washington that one. I, I, I'm not trying to lose you. I'm not, I'm not trying to have you hang up. I was, I was rooting <laughs> for San Francisco, but, but, um, but I didn't think the Giants had a chance in hell in the series. Um, and, and I wasn't alone in that, in that thought. But um, I, that game was played. Uh, I, my wedding anniversary is in early October. And that night, was my, I was going to take my wife out to dinner at this nice fancy restaurant in Pasadena. <laughs> and as she's getting all ready and everything, I'm watching the ninth inning. And I'm thinking, you know, because it's early here in California. I'm like going, all right, I just want to see the end of this game. The, the, the Nats are going to win this, but I just want to see the final inning. And <laughs> so she's getting all ready. And then there's the, the Sandoval hit to tie the game. And I thought to myself, oh, shit, Paul, you know, you're taking your wife out. <laughs> for you don't want to be the asshole husband <laughs> checking the score. So I, 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 we went, I turned my phone off. We had a lovely dinner. You know, it was a nice time, just the two of us and the candlelit dinner, in this place in, in, you know, not far from our home, but, you know, it was just a nice night, you know, just kind of, when you've already had 10 anniversaries, you know, you still, you know, they get to be like, okay, we're just gonna have a nice dinner and everything like that, you know? And so I was like, okay. Then we get back in the car and we head back and we come home, take my shoes off. I just want to see what, what happened. And I turned the game on, and it's still on. <laughs>
3: and the score hadn't. Yeah,
0: it was still one to one. I'm thinking, what the? He-? I'm thinking, are they replaying it? And I look at it; it was like the seventeenth inning. And I thought, this is great. I get to take my wife out, be the nice romantic husband. And I did. And I, they, it's like they played two games. It's like you will play another game. And so I, I saw the Sandoval double and the Brandon Belt homer. And took my wife out for our anniversary <laughs> dinner, and you know I did, and I didn't have to sit and watch the the seventeen or, or the the eight innings where nothing happened. So. Well,
1: Sully,
3: I really <laughs> hope it was worth it. You. <laughs> well, uh, you know, interestingly, I was actually just talking about this game today, um, not not anticipating actually discussing it uh, to on this podcast, but. Um, I had a revelation re- while I was while I was talking about it, and now as we're re- recapping it again, for years I wanted us to move on from having the Steven Strasburg shutdown conversation, like yep. both like locally and nationally. And yep. I, it does seem like we finally stopped having that conversation, but we've moved on to an equally painful conversation. Where were you during the 18th <laughs> innings? <laughs> and everybody's got a story. The guy I was talking to about said he was there, but he he couldn't take it and he would never do that again. And I was saying, well, I was was at a wake and getting updates from my partner who was at the game (laughs) telling me he hadn't gone home yet. Like, everybody's got a where were you story for that game. And I think it's interesting that we just... We just replace one sadness with a different one when we have oh. these the sort of like, at, at least this one seems to be sort of a local conversation, not well, as much a national conversation. But
0: I, I've said before that you can't really change people's perception of your team unless whatever that whatever's caused that perception changes. You can't you know, talk about Curse of the Bambino with the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Only one thing could ever turn that around was winning the damn World Series and beaten the snot out of the Yankees along the way. Mm -hmm. The conversation of should they have not pitched Strasburg, you know, and, and gone into that series without using Strasburg on, on the surface Rizzo has been justified. You know, Mm -hmm. if you said like, Mm -hmm. we're not just trying to win 2012, we're trying to win, you know, many in, in the future. And they have in terms of division victories. And so, but until they win it all, it <laughs> will hang over the team that they went into the series against St. Louis in 2012. And in the end, it, yeah, it was the bullpen that, that lost that fifth game, but their starting pitching was atrocious in that series. And you had, you know, Steven Strasburg, you know, eating sunflower seeds during the entire season, during the entire series. And so, you know, that decision of not going for it that year while has been justified with the first place finishes is still going to be a conversation until they win it all, which is sounds, you know, it was like LeBron had to win in Cleveland to shut everyone up. I mean, like you, mm-hmm. you have to, you know, there are these things, there's these things in the narrative, the Buffalo Bills, they're going to bring it up until they win a Super Bowl that they can't win a Super Bowl. And you know that's going to be part of the Washington narrative until they win. I hate to say it, but no, you I'm,
3: you're not wrong. You're not, nothing. You're saying is wrong. It just it, it it's that I think it's that element of um, what if because there's no way to conclusively prove the other side of things, right? Which is why it sticks around. Yeah. But I'm at least saying. you
0: would have known. At least you would have known your best team. Like you know, there were a couple of years where the Red Sox had Pedro pitching, and it, you know it didn't go so well. But at least you know. At least he pitched, you know, at least, you know, you went out with your best team and it didn't work out. I mean, that's well, we did where... the
1: opposite. We really did the opposite this past year, though. I mean, Strasburg was on like IV fluids all day with the flu or a mold reaction or whatever the hell it was. And then he went out and pitched an incredible game. So yeah. it was really the opposite for him. And and I think <laughs> part of the reason he was so determined to do that
4: mm-hmm. was
1: to shut everybody up and to say, look, you shut me down when it was about, you know, my pitching but I'm not going to let the flu shut me down of all things. And then, yeah. and you guys know how much this pains me to say they went for it with Scherzer out of the bullpen. I mean, yeah. nobody can say they didn't go for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And nobody pre- could
3: have predicted. Sorry. Go ahead. Sid. Well, I was just going to say like,
2: you know, from a perspective. So yes. Would I have liked us to have closed out game five of the NLDS in 2012? And like, I could have closure in my life and I don't have that. <laughs> But like it has paid dividends in that Strauss, who is a delicate as a dragonfly's wing in many cases. Like he, he one, he signed with us longer term, which none of us mm-hmm. kind of expected. Two, it has given us more better baseball for a longer period. Yeah. And we and when he signed with, with us, it's oh, we think he can last for X amount of time. And had they not Shot him down because of because of Tommy John, you know, had had claimed mm-hmm. him earlier. I, you know, I don't know. That's that's the other side of the what if. And I think that like, because Kay's like, yeah, we, we can't predict, we can't say what would happen. I can't say what would happen if they had pitched him and then he had, not to pick on anyone like Donna Tim Linscomb and just fell fallen off, or worse, a Matt Harvey. I oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, Matt
3: Harvey, yeah. Matt yeah. Harvey. yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean yeah.
3: that's that's what I mean by the what if it's both sides of these equations that that's why we can't stop talking about it because well, I, either yeah. way you've got a what if that you can never answer.
0: And that's why I brought up the fact that he he's been logically he's been vindicated. Mm-hmm. You know that decision has been he didn't blow his arm out like, you know, uh like you know Matt Harvey and everything like that. You know, he didn't have the 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 career ending surgery. And they have gone to the postseason on oh, their you know, write them in pen. They're gonna do it again with their was it, their fourth manager since twenty twelve. a Totally
3: different can of worms. But, oh. um, I have
0: up here, I, I went to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. <laughs> and I, you know, I have that inning in 2012. And the thing that I I'm sure you haven't forgotten about, but I forgot about was that um Storen walked Molina and Freeze on full counts before mm-hmm. the Descalzos uh, single to, that scored the two run, the, the infield single that tied the game. Sully, and... the most
1: infamous sentence in Nationals <laughs> baseball
2: history is,
3: is Drew Storen did down
2: to the last strike. Yeah, <laughs> that, the strikes zone, like to get you know bitter. The strikes out during that that at bat, I remember. I remember. I'm like, hmm. I don't. I don't necessarily concur with how they're calling it. Though that's every baseball no. fan ever. Yeah. But like, it was meandering. Is um, a- <laughs>
4: yeah
2: <And laughs> meandering or like as i don't know a flexible. five-dimensional ob- object that i was like oh it has a it has a wormhole in it okay tesseract. <laughs> yeah it's a tesseract of a strike zone um and so yeah i i think that's just a case of of it that made it worse because it wasn't like okay you got lit up um though he did you know later but it was like mm, these are two very borderline call you know calls on full counts to walk to discalzo to like yeah and then and then pete
0: Cosma. effing <laughs> you know, the F-ing. uh we're still the, mad at him the <laughs> inning that i mean look at everyone remembers the 18 inning game where one run between in any inning between the ninth and the 17th would have you know a single runoff of yosmero Petit, Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. and it's a 1-1 going to san francisco but the the inning that i really remember vividly um and i and i was sitting next to my dad in the san francisco barrier watching it because i could not believe what was unfolding and again i swear i'm not trying to just this is not like you know trying to this is not clockwork orange torturing you all this is (laughs) not (laughs) Um, we torture ourselves plenty but the uh the inning in the the game four where williams pitched um thornton and barrett but didn't bring in soriano until it was too late that he was not using the best pitchers out of the bullpen um and that resulted in the wild pitch and but just like single single walk like bring in your best pitcher. the season's on the line and um and i remember you know williams saying well you know that wasn't his role (laughs)
2: right he's our closer i believe with the line
0: (laughs) and then you had in the in the world series you had um Bochi bringing out uh madison bumgarner in relief in game seven with a season on the line and thinking, well, that's the difference between Matt Williams and Bruce Bochy right there. Is He said, mm-hmm. I know this is not Baumgartner's role, but uh, the season's on the line. Um,
2: yeah, we but were they, not...
0: they, But it bit you in the butt this year because you brought in Max Scherzer with a season on the line. It didn't work uh, then either. So it's right. sort of... that's why it, goes, it always <laughs> goes both ways when uh, you're a
3: Washington sports fan.
2: Yeah, and we were not exactly big fans of Matt Williams as anything, but specifically right. bullpen management um and that sort of you know, I think we've always wanted to have a balance between pitch the best pitcher available in the situation where it's appropriate, and dudes do need to know when they're gonna be up and what in what context they're gonna pitch in, and it is a delicate balance that's yes. hard to find, yeah, that like having a seven eight nine you know seven eight nine rolls makes sense because these are people, but also, yeah, send out <laughs> the best i mean it does like they they need to know like. No, like, I know, I know. Um you know, after escaping our bullpen, both I think Storin and, and <laughs> to a lesser extent, Clippard have been like, yeah, we just didn't know. Like, we just literally would not know what was going on or what we were supposed mm-hmm. to do.
3: Uh, and even and- Tanner has said that about his time when he was when he was pitching out of the bullpen, Tanner Roark. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Which, I mean, speaking of speaking of missed opportunities on people who had been pitching well, I will take to the grave. The fact that Tanner Roark should have been pitching in this year's NLDS, and he did not, um, and I don't know where I wanted him. I think I could go in circles deciding which game and whether, and you know, as a starter or as a reliever. But I, frankly, I know he was shaky earlier in the season, but he'd gotten it together, and I think it was frankly a crime that we went the whole NLDS and we did not see Tanner Roark.
0: Yeah. yeah. This is a fact. I just, I just double checked, and I don't have to tell you this, but. Six of the last seven postseason games that the Nats have lost have been one-run games.
2: Yep, <laughs> yep. I, a one-run game is basically a tied game. That's
0: that's yeah, how you but, have to go you, into it. Like that's a Cosmo away yeah. from being yeah. tied. You know, yeah.
2: That's, uh... oh, Lord, we booed him. <laughs> he's we he's did. on the bench for the Rangers, and we booed him. <laughs> I mean, that's being a that's, a good that's real player,
1: hate.
0: Dude, the being a player. good player
1: and having having success in your life is not a requirement for being booed in Nats Park. If Jose Tabata ever <laughs> shows his face. I,
2: I think oh. he got DFA'd. I don't think he's he playing did playing anymore. Yeah. Who,
0: Jose <laughs> Tabata? Oh, uh, yeah. Lobaton. You mean Lob- Jose Lobaton? No,
1: no, 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 no. okay. Sorry, Jose right. Tabata is the one who ruined Max Scherzer's perfect game.
0: Yeah, his elbow. Oh. That's
1: yeah,
2: right. into the, we never forgive and we never forget. We do
3: evil. not. I I also view the the booing less as I mean yes there's obviously the grudge part but it's more about the catharsis like we need to do it and we didn't get to do it at the time so we got to do it whenever else we can.
0: If that I, makes I, any I, sense. I, <laughs> yeah, I get that. They're, you, they're, the number of, the before the before the Red Sox finally won the number of players just intricately that I booed over the years. <laughs> For for transgressions in 1988, you know, like you don't know, like, oh, one, you know, he he, Mike Gallego got that one little grounder off in Bruce Hurst in 1988. F that guy. No, I get it. <laughs> I um, totally get. it. I'm just telling you, as someone who <laughs> saw his team, you know, get crushed to the point where I'm on HBO specials talking about, you know, the <laughs> curse and everything like that. That the the joy when that gets lifted, you don't even understand. It's like you can actually watch a game going like, oh, you know, like they lost the my team lost in the playoffs this year. My reaction was, oh, man, I really want them to win. Good luck next year, guys. <laughs> you know, As opposed to breaking it down like a beautiful mind in my backyard with the sort of charts and like, you know, if we need this and this, you know, it, it's, it's a wonderful rule. You still love the game as much. It just, it feels like it loves you back finally.
1: Oh, that would be nice. (laughs) Yeah. I live in Massachusetts these days um, and the day after the NLDS ended, I went in and, you know, there was everybody and it was just a day for everybody because the Sox were already out of it and I I just, I didn't know how to explain to everyone around me what was wrong. (laughs) They just, they, they just didn't they couldn't process this. And to be fair, many of these people were not Red Sox fans. And the only person who I think really understood what I was going through was the one guy who is a really diehard Red Sox fan. He came over and he gave me his condolences, um, which I appreciated. But I mean, I felt like somebody had died that day and I didn't feel that way as much the last couple of times. So
3: I think this is a bad sign for me i think it i think it dips down and then you start coming back out the other side now that i've been through this however many times we've been through this five times like this time the bounce back was much much easier for me i mean it sucked and the day it's like the day of it sucked um and the entire ride home it sucked but then like the next day people were giving me condolences and i could accept it and the day after that i was like okay time to go about the rest of my business As opposed to in like 2012 and 2014, it was Mm -hmm. like don't even talk to me for a week, you know. That's how I felt in
1: 2014, but 2012 I was still like a baby Nats fan, so I didn't quite feel it the same way
3: yet. Yeah, Uh, 2012, I like grieved. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Um, I had a student because I was teaching at the time. I basically had a student who was a diehard Nats fan who gave me uh, this pillow pet that I am currently holding. (laughs) Um, Basically, after like four days, told me to suck it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I feel like this year was easier emotionally because last year I was like, Oh, that was a good series. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Sean Kelly had a little bit of meltdown game. Yeah. But like, it was a good series. I didn't feel, I guess like the issue with 2014 is I felt cheated out of good baseball. Yeah. 2014 was not good baseball. Um, It's interesting, Sully, that you called the giants in that series. Like the, you thought the Nats was gonna, the Nats were gonna beat the Giants. We yeah. always do better against the Giants um, in like you know season series. I think because of the weather here. I'll be yeah. honest. Um, but
3: and by the time you get to October, that's yeah, you're basically back in San Francisco. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right. So like we have a bunch of folks who are like me on the team who like it's below seventy. Time to get out the balaclava. Um, <laughs>
1: I wish you were exaggerating.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not. I, I wear I wear several sweaters in that kind of weather. But I think that like the, the Giants, um and I haven't done any analysis really, but like the eye test says they tend to melt in the heat in the summer.
0: Uh well, I mean they they've had a good decade. Um yes. yeah. you know. And, but uh I think that uh you know, that series was, was really a bounce or two away from being all nationals,
3: mm-hmm. which is
0: you know, it's funny, like, I, I, it's interesting hearing you talk about because the the series against Los Angeles in 2016, uh, I just thought was two evenly matched teams. I just felt that could, that was a coin toss. And I felt there was a coin toss going into it. And I felt it was a coin toss going through it. Um, this last year, so I could imagine that's easier to take, even though you had the situation where, you know, the only, the, the greatest Highlighting Clayton Kershaw's postseason career was coming out of the bullpen in Washington.
1: <laughs> right um, there, I had surgery between games four and five on that off day. I was on a whole lot of morphine for that game five. Let me tell you, it's a great way to watch the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> You're not stressed <laughs> at all.
0: <laughs> but it struck me that this year against Chicago, I'm real. I mean, I thought the Nats were going to the World Series because I thought head to head. You know, in the regular season, I thought L.A. was the best team. Obviously, they Mm -hmm. won 104 Mm -hmm. games. They went on that stretch where they couldn't possibly lose a game. But I felt head to head that Washington matched up really well in every spot with L.A. And when it it was I know the networks were happier that it was L.A. versus the Cubs. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the the Dodgers kind of smacked the Cubs around. Especially in the clinching game was a incredible. I mean, look at I was here in LA. I was rooting for the Dodgers. Full full disclosure, I would have rooted for the Nats because Mm -hmm. I I want to see Sean get a ring. But um, (laughs) I was watching it at a place here, and you know the place here was going crazy. But you know in Chicago it was it was a morgue, and it was and it was a blowout too. And the Kiki Hernandez had Mm -hmm. three homers, and I wonder how that felt for you guys looking at that going man we would have at least put up a fight
2: well i think that like for the cubs this year and the dodgers honestly last year like i agree we were totally evenly matched last year and like it was a coin toss and that's why or you know in, in 2016 why i wasn't like mad about it yeah. but like they dragged into into the nlcs and the Cubs dragged. I'm like, Washington, like, we'll lose, but you'll regret it. Like,
1: yeah, I told, <laughs> my, Dodger, I told my Dodger fan friends they were welcome.
3: Yeah. yeah. Definitely well, had
1: something to do with that.
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: No, we, I mean, just what we did to Arietta alone, because we'll, we'll always take that one. Um, um,
0: like, it's, it's good you're, it's good that you're petty. <laughs> um, <that's>,
3: oh,
2: always. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we smacked him around. Like, we made him look... You know, we, we're, we're just going to hang on to that. That and the the Grand Slam. Like, you know.
0: Yeah.
3: We'll always have Michael A. Taylor yes. hitting that Grand Slam. Always.
0: <laughs> what is the greatest moment in Nationals history? At least from your point oh. of view.
3: That's going to that's gonna be a different answer from all of us, I think. It, uh, that's why I'm curious. Yeah.
1: Oh. I have a personal one. Mm-hmm. All
4: right. So,
1: <laughs> I was at Max Scherzer's mm-hmm. second no-hitter in New York
4: oh yeah
1: and it was a meaningless series we had completely handed the Mets the season on a silver platter yeah it was the tail end of a hurricane the weather was miserable I took three forms of public transportation to get there (laughs) everything in the universe was saying stay home and I said no I'm not staying home I'm going to New York I'm going to go meet my friend we're going to watch this game and it was like the universe just smiled. And it was honestly the most beautiful pitching performance I have ever witnessed. And I will take that to the grave. I mean, no one is going to take that from me. They can beat us up, and they can, you know, whatever, but nobody is ever going to take that no hitter away from me. It was unbelievable. I I just loved watching that. And I will point out just like the previous no hitter, that was one error from being a perfect game. I mean, mm-hmm. if you know Escobar, Hadn't messed up a play, I believe, in the fifth. Mm-hmm. That would have been a perfect game. And personally, I don't think that if it's an error on another player, it should really count against the pitcher. But you know, I can't. But that's not how universe. baseball works. <laughs> Thanks, okay. um, no, but but that that one petty dig against you Escobar aside, um, it was it was just an incredible performance. I'll always love watching him pitch. I it hurts me deeply that he was such a big part of our destruction this past year but I will always take seeing Max over anybody I just love the way he pitches I love the way he competes (laughs) um and seeing him throw that no hitter and just feeling rewarded for my loyalty and schlepping to New York in a hurricane I mean that was by far my personal (laughs) best Nats moment
3: all right so new anybody else
4: <laughs> okay go ahead i mean i've, I've
3: got i got a couple like moderate ones i'm not sure if i would necessarily put any of them as like the greatest of all time um but i i loved being i, I loved denard span's um hit streak mm-hmm. which he got to 29 30 29 and when he and that same season breaking the hits record for the club which that was a nice little that was a nice little treat um i liked that we had a 10 game win streak it'd be really awesome if we had a a longer than 10 game win streak but 10 games is nothing to sneeze at and it was really fun while it was happening especially because it happened in the most national ways the nationals way possible in that there were like several uh 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 extra inning walk-off situations in that 10 games um so that was really fun. It seems kind of hokey to say it, but it also does feels like, again, doing do, the Nationals doing things the Nationals way. In 2012, literally backing into the first uh, NL East win for the team. I was going to say that. It was a loss. It was a loss. It was a loss, but it was like we we backed into winning it like the second to last game of the season and it was amazing because it was the first uh uh playoff going for us since like yeah so in in however many years it is 97 or something i think it was um so it was like obviously an amazing moment for the team and then that it happened that we like we lost our way into it just felt so awesome and so very like because it wasn't, it wasn't. But a year before that, that they were just scrabbling, you know. That so it it almost like felt like it made sense that yeah they were gonna get there for the first time. They were gonna make history, but they were gonna back their way into it hard. Um, again, I don't know if that's necessarily the greatest, but it's certainly one of the most memorable.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was actually gonna pick on that too, just because you know. So so. Um, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area, uh, so with without really a baseball team, though, you know, we'd go up and, and watch the O's and Cal Ripton and all that. But like, I I went to school in Pittsburgh, um, when the Pirates were, you know, fantastic. It was mid the losingest season, um, you know, the losingest season streaks, um, while I was up there, and then came back, uh, to D.C. right when the Nats moved back. Um, and they, I, I, I mean. <laughs> I don't know how to express how bad they were. Um, (laughs) Like, like we all knew that was deliberately tanking. It was like that, but without the deliberation, (laughs) like it was without being deliberate at all. Like it was just so terrible. And so, yeah, seeing sort of all of these pieces come online and just sort of, go together, and then happened really, really quickly. So, like, yeah, in 2011, not good. Um, and, like, 2012, like, in addition to being the first postseason appearance, was their first season above 500? Since so, their first true. season. No, Since they the were first. exactly No, they, they finished at 500. Um, yeah, exa- they, they, I'm
3: sorry, you said above. Sorry. Yes, I, I
2: did. I was like, they finished at 500, and someone's gonna say it, Kay. And it was you. <laughs> <laughs> so, greater than, not greater than equals, then. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, and so, you know, that's just one of those things where you get to sort of to see. And while we don't have the collective suffering of, of for instance, Cleveland, mm-hmm. um, or like you know any any Some other, other teams city up until you
3: know, recently, yeah,
2: yeah, or like the Astros prior to, to this year, um, like we don't have that. But like all of our collective suffering was compressed. But like. <laughs> yeah it was pretty bad. Um, like I we still were... hold my
1: breath when I see two outfielders within 10 feet of each other. I just expect them to run <laughs> into each other. It's uh, going to take a long time before I stop expecting that to happen.
2: I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, <laughs> we remember when, like, okay, it was Alfonso Soriano and other people on the team. <laughs> yeah. And Ryan Zimmerman and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, or, like, on
1: the flip side, I paid $6 for my first Nats game.
2: At at our no it was at Nats Park yeah
1: it was at Nats Park it was yeah, not okay. I wasn't there um, until they had moved but you really could not beat that ticket price
2: no um, no <laughs> RFK you got about six dollars worth of baseball because you were always
3: sitting behind a pillar I,
2: um so have you ever been were you ever at old R, like well old it's still there but RFK for a baseball game I never game?
0: went no no yeah. um yeah do not recommend.
2: <laughs> yeah. Zero
1: of ten. So, you know how there's some really <laughs> terrible sight lines at Fenway, but you forgive them because it's Fenway and also because you know where to sit, you don't sit at them?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Imagine I, I those tri-
1: sight lines with none of the
2: charm and no better alternatives.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
2: Perfect. <laughs> um, and everything kind of troublingly shakes if the five people in the stadium like stand up
3: at the same time yeah at the same time
2: <laughs> yeah it was it was a great experience um so yeah i would say like just just getting to watch them get this much better that we're you know in 2018 complaining that we haven't won an nlds like
1: <laughs> we've yeah. come a long way yeah so tell i me reserve now. the right to complain
0: yeah please, please complain, crazy. <laughs> um Thoughts on Dave Martinez. Now that we've gone through, you guys have gone through Davey Johnson, Matt Williams, and Dusty Baker. Um, and, I man, one of the reasons I'll just say this, one of the reasons I was rooting hard for the Nationals besides Sean Doolittle, I wanted to see Dusty Baker win a World Series as a oh. manager. And, and if for no other reason, he's a lifer. You know, he won a ring as a player, but to win a ring as a, as a manager would suddenly make people look at the pennant he won in San Francisco the postseason appearances in Chicago and Cincinnati and winning the world series in Washington, you'd have to start to say maybe he's a hall of fame manager. And that (laughs) just would make so many people's heads explode because uh, as someone who uh, my father, as I said, my father's a San Francisco fan and the giants had tremendous success under dusty Baker when he was a manager there. And I will say Dusty Baker's name to my dad, and he will recoil like he just saw a tarantula crawl across. Because, not because he didn't like Dusty, but because he remembers some of the in game strategy that would just drive every fan base crazy that followed him day to day. Uh, You know, I know Cub fans and Red fans have the same reaction, which is like, Yes, you have great success, but you have to deal with those innings. We're going like, what's he doing? What's he doing?
3: <laughs> oh, in de- in defense in, uh, of Dusty, I know we have had him for a much shorter. We had him for a much shorter time than some of the other clubs that have. Um, we we never felt like, or at least for me to speak for all three of us, anyway. We never quite felt the same way about like his individual decisions in terms of if he obviously made the wrong one and he if he had just made this other one it would have absolutely worked. Um, it's it's hard to say because we have a smaller sample size, but and certainly I would say a lot of the fat the the Nats fan base would disagree with us on but that. Compared but compared to Matt Williams, yeah, yeah, oh for starters, compared to Matt Williams. But also it just seemed like, it, it felt like by the time he got here, or at least from my perspective it felt like by the time he got here people were so used to assuming that he was going to make bad decisions that they were evaluating his decisions on that scale as opposed to just actually looking at the decisions he, that he was making. Yeah. It was like sure. they looked at it and saying, oh well it's a Dusty Baker decision. You mm-hmm. know, How bad That's is fair. it going to be? It's hard to, I mean, it, this is obviously a complete perception thing, so it I could be I could be wrong on on my analysis of his decisions, and I'm sure there there are definitely some that I disagree with. But there are going to be some that you're going to disagree with, regardless of the, who the manager is. So, yeah, well,
0: no, it's tough to be worse than Matt Williams, though. And Matt <laughs> yeah. Williams was, I mean, totally. I wasn't even following it day to day, and that, that was just grotesque.
1: Sully, I, I didn't learn the infield fly rule until 2012, and I still could have managed that team. <laughs> <in the Dallas.
0: laughs> um, what was
2: it during the wild card game? Yeah. Yeah. That's when very, everybody uh, got a uh, Yeah, everyone yeah, learned at that game. Yeah, I was it. like, yeah. <laughs> so, after after they make a call, you have to throw trash on the field. That's required <laughs> actually as part of the infield fly rule. Um uh yeah, I I think that like the quote from Dusty and I'm going to mangle the quote is like they've called, you know, him a lot of things. They call him a players manager, you know, they call him like a really nice guy, but they don't call him smart. Mm -hmm. um and we've talked about that there's clearly like there's very clearly a racial element to it like Mm -hmm. we got dusty baker at probably less money than they would pay a white manager of the same experience and and sort of pedigree as he is um we got dave martinez honestly we're underpaying for him too
3: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah yeah given that he's been with the cubs for blah years as a bench coach
3: we're just getting we're basically getting first-time manager discount Yeah, and that's
2: all it is um but yeah we're getting first-time manager discount and and maybe it's also that you know i i I don't know i i they also did pay cut rate for matt williams though they got it i mean he's Mm a six dollar ticket to rfk stadium as
4: a person um
2: so but i think that there's like we wanted dusty to win a ring obviously but i think a lot of the the sort of I agree with Kay. The The expectation that he was going to make bad, ill-thought, non-analytical decisions were sort of in a cloud around him when, when you actually listen to what he was saying on a day-to-day, it was, we have numbers, guys, who I listen to, but I'm not going to tell you, like, this number exactly, but clearly, like, I understand why they're telling me the things they're telling me. Right. Which, if he weren't, Dusty Baker probably people would be like oh he's really smart he listens to his analytics guys
3: mm-hmm. which is what? what they said about Davey Johnson and they they managed in a lot of similar ways yeah but yeah. nobody recoils from Davey Johnson
1: and to answer your original question about about <laughs> Dave Martinez I no, I didn't mean that as a criticism god knows I'm here for defensive for, for hours but um I think it's hard to have much of an opinion on Dave Martinez because there's just so little to evaluate him on in terms of manager. You know, he's got some amazing experience. Clearly, he's had the opportunity to learn a ton about how to manage a winning team in the playoffs. Um, I think there's a lot to recommend him. Much has been made of the fact that he's bilingual um, and that always being, you know, a really good thing for relationships (laughs) with the players. Mm -hmm. But it's just really hard to say, this is what I think he's going to be good at or this is what I think he's not because of him being a new manager, I'm very optimistic about him. I feel a little bit bad for the guy. <laughs> Frankly, I think he's being put in a pretty impossible situation where the message yeah. they've sent at this point is either you win us a ring or you're gone. And here's this new guy who's coming in who's never managed before. He doesn't know the team particularly well. He's got this whole toxic cloud hanging over him about an LDS Game 5. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what are you going to do with that? On the other also- hand, he's got a pretty amazing team. But still, having that kind of a, you know... Here's your first mm-hmm. team, either win or ring or leave. That's not a great position to put a guy in.
3: But, no, I will but-
0: say, I'll, I'll say oh. that he's kind of in a similar situation. Alex uh, Cora is with my mm-hmm. beloved Red Sox, mm-hmm. that he's someone who we've been hearing for so long that this guy is, again, a great baseball mind, great baseball, you know, like mm-hmm. is a great like managerial prospect. Mm-hmm. And to finally say, here, not only you, we're going to give you the. Usually, a, a manager like that would get like a rebuilding Padres team, mm-hmm. you know, and say like, yeah. oh well, yeah, well, he didn't win with the Padres, well, yeah, because he had a Double A team, mm-hmm. you know. And now he's saying <laughs> here, you know, you here, you get the car keys. Here's Bryce Harper. Here's Max Scherzer. Here's Daniel Murphy. Go, uh, and and I, and I think and and I think the same thing in Boston that you have. It's interesting that they're handing a young manager who people have been saying forever is going to be a really good manager and you're handing him a good team. And I think that that's going to be very intriguing to see. All right, let's see what they, you know, obviously they're going to make some, some mistakes, but um, you know, they're, they're also uh, there's the Tom Kelly's of the world who won a world series in their first full season. So, you know, Mm you, you never know.
3: I, I think, I think you're right. And like, it's going to be very interesting to watch and that as a weird, weird place to put a first-time manager in. And I think it's like, maybe maybe it's a little bit like both way more pressure and also maybe making it a little bit easier in terms of like, so not to keep belaboring the Matt Williams point, Matt Williams came in and won his first year with us, just, just to the playoffs, I know. But mainly because he didn't really know what he was doing, so he just got out of his own way and let the players do what they did well. Mm -hmm. right so in that sense being handed the keys to the ferrari of of the current red sox or the nationals or whatever you know if you don't necessarily know what you're doing that you have a certain element of like well the players may basically know what they're doing so if i just kind of let them do themselves for a little while that's going to cover cover up a lot of my sins but then it gets problematic when you come into situations where you can't like maybe it's the year after where you can't let them sort of you can't just wind them up and send them out. Like You you haven't learned the skills to actually manage them. And so when you get in a jam the next year, you have no way to get out of it. If that makes any sense? Yeah. Now, to be
1: fair, and I can't believe I'm saying this, to be fair to Matt Williams, I don't know what it would take to manage Jonathan Papelbon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cattle <brub. Yeah. laughs> uh, Paying attention when he's choking Bryce yeah. Harper?
4: <laughs> oh, oh, God. God.
0: <laughs> By yeah. the way, that's... That's an example of like I'm glad that I got world champion All Star <laughs> Jonathan Papelbon and the Phillies and the Phillies got the we'll pay for you to stink Jonathan Papelbon and the Nationals got the uh no the lunatic Jonathan <laughs> Papelbon the, right. the ineffective lunatic.
1: I mean, I see Papelbon jerseys around these days because, for you know, decent reasons, there are people in Boston who still like him. Yeah. And it just boggles my mind that he was ever a player that you would want because he was so far removed from that by the time we had him. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, he was on the bound when they won the World Series. You know, he was, it was the shot was him jumping up in the air and into Verityx's arms.
1: Yeah. I know. I cringe at that picture.
3: (laughs) (laughs) There's,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm thinking that's not going to be a huge issue with the bullpen again. Like, I'm trying to think, like, do we expect Joe Blanton to suddenly grow an ego and choke someone? Do we still have Joe Blanton? Wait, Joe Blanton? Wait,
3: do you mean grow a personality?
2: Yeah, is uh, he one
1: of the white guys with the thick neck. Yeah, just,
2: he's yes. he's a thick neck white guy. <laughs> uh, so that's
3: half the bullpen. But yes.
2: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like yeah, I, that's this is a case of I I agree I think that a good team will cover up managerial sins. I think the issue will be like Max Scherzer doesn't need management. Like he has right. a plan. He barely needs a catcher. <sighs> like the catcher doesn't call the game much for him. And we like Weeders has been like yeah I don't, I, don't, I just throw what he what he says he's going to throw, you know, I, he throws what he says he's going to throw and I touch the ball. Um, But like we have had, you know, issues like everyone else with having a fourth and fifth starter um, Mm -hmm. where you can't just say, let, let the Ferrari be the Ferrari. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's let whatever the car equivalent of AJ Cole is um, like a 97 civic. No. no, maybe okay. a
1: PT Cruiser.
2: Okay, but like, oh. <laughs> but like, yeah. I mm. and that's where I think that's it's gonna matter. And then the other thing that really matters with Martinez is, you know, Anthony Rendon is in the last year with us. He he's yeah. a free agent next year, so we need
3: a manager who who make, makes him want to stay. Yeah, <laughs> like we we want him to
2: stay. We think that like I will say, you know, the way that that Laura feels about Max Scherzer is about the way I feel about Anthony Rendon. <laughs> Um, Like, we want him to stay. Um, He's made noises that he wants to stay. And he's also made noises that he's been dissatisfied with the the amount of managerial turnover. So at the very least, not having, you know, a guy that we drafted, I think, you know, six overall, um, and really turned it into a first rate player walk on us when he could stay and, and probably Mm -hmm. wants to is, is also really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know, you know, I don't know Martinez and his relationship with the players, you know, but I do know that, that this is a pretty crucial year um, that we have a couple of people who, who could walk and we Mm -hmm. would prefer if they didn't.
1: Well, Bryce, obviously Um, always the elephant in the room in that sense. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But um, I don't think I just, anybody
1: for for all that much has been made of it. I don't think anybody really knows what Bryce Harper wants, except for Bryce Harper.
3: I don't think Bryce Harper knows what Bryce Harper wants.
0: Um, well, th- it's got, this is going to be a really interesting, you know, elephant in the room for free agency. People talk about no one signing any free agents right now. Is it because, you know, you know, we've seen so many long term deals with players who have already had their thirtieth birthday backfire. You know, it's like it's not collusion. It's people saying we don't want to be the next one paying for John for uh, Pablo Sandoval.
4: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, and so yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure they'll say I'll give you a three year deal, but I'm going to give you a six year deal. You're over thirty, and I think some teams, maybe you know, some of the big spenders might be uh, saying, "Do what? Let's uh, not let's not blow our free agent spending this year because the rare elephant in free agent is the one who's going to be in their prime." And mm-hmm. that's going to be Harper, and yeah. it's, you know, I I hope he. I and I actually think the with the the Giancarlo Stanton trade to the Yankees may preclude the Yankees from being in on that. Um, I, L A. The, uh, the Dodgers, the Dodgers, uh, the Cubs, you know, and the Phillies, I think, are going to be kind of waiting in the the weeds for him.
3: I think I agree with you that probably the Yankees have, have have blown it as it were. Um, getting Stanton and but it's always the Yankees and you never know where they're gonna find more money to spend on something. So True. True. You know. I, I wouldn't mean mess-
2: this isn't like even Yankees couch money. This is like four hundred million dollar money. Oh
3: no, I I understand that. They have but big the
0: couches. Yankees. They have big couches. A lot <laughs> That's of money true. To <laughs>
3: Although some people
1: have been saying, and I don't, I think this might be reactionary, but that the the sort of free agent lull, as it were, might mean that Bryce isn't going to get as much as he thought he was going to get. I don't know whether it's really – I don't know that it's gone far enough to, for that to be a reasonable statement at this point, but I do think we're seeing a shift in some ways
0: in, I think it's in for the pattern. These, I think it's for these free agents. I think Bryce is a much different animal. I think that one of the problems is people saying – Uh, we're not we're going to be paying prime money for someone who's no longer in their prime you know as opposed to this is paying prime money for someone in their prime
1: i Uh, think the thing is they're they're not paying prime money for a lot of the guys that they have in their prime and so you know my my inner socialist who has no idea what I'm doing in this sport in the first place says, (laughs) you know, what the hell are we doing with the minor leaguers? What the hell are we doing with the young guys who are under team control? If they're going to stop paying the older guys, stop paying the older guys. Sure. They're not producing, but you can't continue to shaft the young guys. If you're going to stop paying the older guys. I mean, the only reason that the young guys are buying into the system as it is, is because of the idea that they're going to get disgusting amounts of money after they're hitting free agency. And so to me, this says, maybe something will give on that front. And maybe that's optimistic. No.
4: Bit,
1: <laughs> Thank you, I'm Kay, for, sorry. for being the voice of pessimism as usual. Yes. Um, but, <laughs> it's my job. And you'll say that about yourself, so that's not just me. But I, no, I no. do think I do think sooner or later, if teams don't want to pay the older guys, something is going to have to give.
2: And I also think that that this is a case where, you know, it's this particular class of free agents – you know, one, one instance doesn't make a pattern. Um, I did want to come up with some names that if all the free agents got together and, and basically made a franchise, what would we name that franchise? Um, you know, the Las Vegas free agents is what I had put out on, on Twitter, <laughs> but like, um, just like, could we, could they just, I don't know, develop their own team? The Expos. Yeah, the Expos. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, About time but, for an expansion yeah i think i think the other issue i'm having is obviously production goes down once guys hit 30 but and this is a big big sort of caveat on that medical technology has gotten better and not worse and therefore you know, basically being able to last longer term and being able to monitor how guys are playing and, like, they're able to monitor with a gr- much greater amount of granularity what they're eating, how they're sleeping. Um, they're not all taking amphetamines, which, you know, that's good. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, that, that the idea that 30 has become sort of a, a killer as an age is a little bit I don't know. It's a little ill-informed. And then the other thing about it is, like, in hockey, which has a, a, a sort of similar system to it, yeah, you know, 30 is not the same, is not spoken of as the same killer. And hockey is, quite frankly, much, much, much more physically demanding.
3: And like, also definitely skews a lot younger.
2: Um. Yeah. Goalies tend to hit their prime in their mid to late 20s, and most other guys it's really like 27 through 32 33 mm-hmm. um but it's not like oh he's over 30 you know but
3: i mean 33 what i would consider 33 young for the baseball well, not young for the baseball world maybe middle-aged for the baseball. For a world. pitcher it depends on the position i just said pit, baseball world right not a specific position. no i know but you know do you i think
1: I, there's a big difference between everybody else and the pitchers in that sense i,
2: I think I, they like goalies peak earlier yeah Because
1: to me, one of the big things that, you know, you said medical, so my ears perked up. One of the big (laughs) things that I would really like to see in terms of pitching is it's just so hard when everybody's data is proprietary to figure out what's really going on with this Tommy John surgery epidemic, you know, and that it's starting earlier and earlier and earlier. And there's a lot of really good theories out there. And I'm not saying, you know, we don't have any idea, but I think, in terms of the age trajectory, if they could really do a good job of, you know, if somebody independent could get everybody to buy in and say, all right, fine, we're not going to share our proprietary medical secrets with each other, but we'll allow some kind of a third party investigation and to have it start with some of these youth organizations and go up through and really figure out what's going on with the elbow, you know, or as the book is, Mm -hmm. the arm. Um, What's really going on with this? And really figure out what are the risk factors, what's making some guys blow out their elbows and then some guys be like R.A. Dickey and never have a UCL in the first place and not need one. Um, And that's true even before he was a knuckleballer, by the way, because that's sort of Mm -hmm. the big, oh, well, R.A. Dickey doesn't need his elbow ligaments intact because he's a knuckleballer. Well, he didn't have a UCL before that was true. And so to me, I want to figure out what's going on with these pitchers so they don't have to peak earlier because some of them are fine. Okay. You know it's just a question of figuring out what's going on with that.
2: So, so you are getting that Laura's dream is to put R.A. Dicky into a functional MRI machine <laughs> and have him pitch. Like Man. this is a life dream. She's right.
0: Yeah, he's available, isn't he? I mean, it's... Yeah. well, R.A. Dicky,
1: if you're listening to this, we can I'll, make I'll... this happen.
0: <laughs> now look at um i've been actually sitting back a lot because i've i've enjoyed listening to your podcast and i realized hey i'm now listening to your podcast <laughs> I like, oh wait crap this is my podcast um, uh, um, Sorry. no no i was letting you go you, you know I'm, this is why i have you on here you know it's not me to i'm not here to lecture you um i i do want to i i can't have this be a uh seven hour episode so yeah. i gotta I'm gonna, i do have to to wrap things up eventually um, if those of you who, uh, first of all, if you've been enjoying this episode of the Sully Baseball podcast, uh, subscribe to, uh, resting pitch face on Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, because it'll be eerily similar to this episode. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I have to ask you this, um, because if you listen to your podcast, you have a, uh, I'm not going to call it unhealthy obsession, but a, a curious obsession with uh, a man who got a World Series ring this year with the Houston Astros, um, <laughs> and a man who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, let up like four home runs in one game against the Red Sox once. I may be mm-hmm. conflating him with another pitcher at this point, Mr. Tyler Clippard, uh, former Washington National. Why? Why, uh, why the? Uh, I don't want to look at I, I, my main memories of him was being awful in the 2015 postseason for the Mets and you know having and and being with the Yankees and and with, with Houston this year so why I know he was with Washington what is the love for Tyler Clippard
3: uh, okay do okay. you want to get that one i guess i will take that one as <laughs> i'd say although we all love him i'd say arguably uh i am the the biggest fan. Uh, I think it's because you're missing those nationals years. Um, He was with us for five years and those were the best, easily the best five years of his entire career. He was um, absolutely completely 100% consistent and reliable out of the bullpen. And my perspective on that is that's almost unheard of. Even the best bullpen, even the best relievers struggle with consistency. They'll have an amazing yeah. season where they cannot possibly give up a hit. And then the next season they're like, uh, am I throwing with my wrong hand? How do fingers work? Like, they, you know, they just like, they can't, they can't keep it together. He kept it together. He, he was so consistent at times that you could almost predict exactly how an inning was going to go with him. And yeah, he might give you a little bit of a nervous moment in a- every other inning or so, but you knew that moment was coming and you knew he would, you trusted that he was going to get you out of it. And so to have that guy coming out in your, in your eighth inning guy is your eighth inning guy. And occasionally as your closer, there's a real sense of like safety and security in that, that like no surprises, solid, consistent. He was never going to be uh Mariano Rivera. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. was never going to be Craig Kimbrell, but he all, you always knew what you were going to get, and in a field that varies that wildly is just absurd.
0: I have it's some it. of his numbers up. He made the All-Star team twice mm-hmm. with was Washington in 2011, 2014. In 2011, he made the All-Star team where he wasn't the closer, but he, is, he struck out 104 batters in 88 in the third innings, walking only 26. His ERA was 1.83 in 72 appearances. Um, and yeah, and like, and then he wound up again in a similar role where he was in, made the all-star team in 2014, again, 82 strikeouts in 73rd innings, only 23 walks, very low ERA. Um, and I just double checked, uh, he pitched in three games in the postseason, but one of the games was not game four. Yeah, so it was it was I remember it was Clippard and Soriano did not come in mm-hmm. when the game was on the line because that's not their roles.
4: Right. Um, <laughs> and
0: Williams made sure they were rested and ready for spring training the next year. Um yeah, and he actually he went to Oakland and replaced mm-hmm. uh an injured Sean Doolittle yeah. in twenty fifteen yeah. <laughs> before coming to the Mets and before returning to the Yankees and to the White Sox and then and finished- there's
3: Diamondbacks were in there too.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, Arizona for about an hour and a half And then yeah. he wound up finishing last year He was not on the postseason roster But he finished the season as a member of the mm-hmm. Astros one Yes
1: race. Well, and actually, if you've I don't know if you've ever heard the whole song That our jingle comes from um, uh, I'm
0: not sure if I Is, is there like multiple verses or mm-hmm.
4: There are, Laura, so that Laura. was me
1: um, So, so Kay is, is certainly the most Long-term committed Tyler Clippard fan But I will say he was my first bobblehead
3: Um, Is that like your first love?
1: Or something. (laughs) Um, He was my first bobblehead. And um, he and Drew Storen were were well known to be really good friends. Um, And so I had a a really close friend who's still in D.C. um, who I talk a lot about. Actually, she's one of the other voices on the... She is the other voice on the jingle, is Grace. Um, And when Klippert and Storen were separated when Klippert was traded, Grace and I kind of projected ourselves a little bit because I had just moved out of DC and I hope she'll forgive me for saying this, um, but this is definitely <laughs> part of my, my ongoing love for Tyler Clippard is like, you know, they were such good friends and they were gonna be on different teams and I had just moved away. And there was a lot of this sort of sort of silly feelingsy aspect to it where, um, you know, we projected ourselves a little bit. And so the jingle is actually a, a parody that I wrote um, with all due apologies to Bowling for Soup. Um, and their song "Come Back to Texas," um, and if you listen to the whole thing, not just the part that's in the jingle, it's actually "Please Come Back, Tyler."
3: Mm-hmm. That's um, the, the song, that's the ending credits. That that yeah so, yeah
1: yeah. So the the jingle actually is is more than just us, you know, making fun of the DH. Um, but it was really my personal ode to Tyler Clipper. Um, who was, as I said, my first bobblehead. So it, it runs deep. <laughs> Sully, it really runs deep. <laughs>
2: there you go. Yeah. There the twenty twelve Bull Ten was le- like what is that? We heard a that... little kid at the game call them legendary. Legendary.
3: <laughs> um, uh... I, I think I think another aspect of it on the like less like rational side and the emotional side of this is like 2012 was sort of like the year where everything came together mm-hmm. and that was the year we had the best bullpen and that bullpen was drew Storin, tyler clippard and um craig stammen with various other moving parts all of which were varying degrees of awesome and it was like such a it, like that was like formative almost for us in a way mm-hmm. that as that sort of started to erode it was like who who are you holding on to the longest? Who's got the most emotional pull as they as the pieces fall apart? Um and I somehow we all kind of <laughs> picked picked on Tyler Clippard. There's it was the goggles.
0: The goggles. Oh man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look at this has been this has been what I hoped it would be, which was, <laughs> really, you know, the crossover. Like we said, let's uh I've loved listening and catching up on your podcast. And I said, well, why don't we try to replicate that here? And, uh, uh, and hopefully, uh, some of the people who listen to us can listen to the, who float down the river Sully and have been since 2012, uh, would, would love like to also, uh, you know, be part of the the Tyler Clifford Appreciation Society, as, <laughs> and you know, listen to Rescue Pitch Face. So, Sully, yeah, it's
1: funny you say that. Our group text is titled the Sad Tyler Clippard Fan Club.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had I couldn't have you on here and not bring up Tyler Clifford because oh. that's the proverbial elephant in the room. Well, look at, um, Kay, Laura, Sid. Um, I'm gonna post. Uh. You know, where, where can people find you? Like on, on Twitter or, or Tumblr or wherever?
3: Um, well, we've got our Twitter, which is Rusting Pitchface uh, with no G we have a website RustingPitchface.com. That's probably your best bet for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so those would be the two links I would, I, I guess I would say resting pitch face on Twitter with no G resting pitch face.com.
0: All right. All right. Um, and if you want to know if, uh, trey turner would win a foot race <laughs> with an ostrich uh that's what you that's the that's your go-to place to to learn such <laughs> important facts like that you could share with your coworkers at the water cooler and uh really impress them with your knowledge well hey look at uh i hope you had fun being here I, I know my listeners have enjoyed it i know i've enjoyed listening to this. so kay sid laura uh thanks for being part of the sully baseball podcast and uh uh, hopefully, uh, we can get back together during the season and yeah. maybe have a Red Sox Washington <laughs> World Series. That, that would, would be the fun.
4: Dream.
3: Yeah. Definitely the dream. Um, and we're going to be playing that, that, the Red Sox this season, so that'd be rough for Regardless. you, Laura,
0: because you you then you'd start to see where the casual Red Sox fans are hiding. So anyway,
1: <laughs> yeah, I would I would have to hide a little bit if that happened. but It'd be fun. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, well, well, thank um, you for having
3: us. Thank you so Absolutely. much. This
0: has been great. This has been fun. And Hey, uh, for my listeners out there, go to Sullybaseball.com, Like me on Facebook, subscribe iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You can be old school and send me an email at info at Sullybaseball.com. The music as always is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kalisky talking Nats with Laura <laughs> Kay and Sid of resting pitch face. I kept trying to change the order of it. So in case there was a billing <laughs> order, I knew I got it. <laughs> this has been the Sully Baseball Podcast. Enjoy your Super Bowl. I guess I'll watch. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please. Kay, Lauren, said, what can they call me?
4: Sully. Sully.